you and I live in a world of noise. Last week, I showed you an app that allowed you to see just some of the signals, some of the frequencies that are surrounding us every single moment right here in this room. Your life and my life is greatly impacted by the voices that we listen to. But we have to choose what we listen to because God is speaking. In fact, play the little, there's a little video clip there. It's just a, it's just a little sound wave. That's the picture of sound. But do you know what it's saying? Can you see it? Can you hear it? The sound is there, but unless we're able to tune into its frequency and open up our ears and slow down and listen, we won't hear it. The same's true. I mean, maybe the, the simplest uh, illustration is to use, as, as Ian called this, uh, our ghetto blaster here. Um, it is a little old school. You know, there's going through this room all kinds of signals, all kinds of noise. But in order to hear something, we've got to tune in. A polka. How much better could it be than that? <laughs> Yay. It just makes you happy, doesn't it? All right. Just like we have to tune in the radio to be able to hear what we want to listen to, we have to tune our life in to hear the voice of God. God is speaking, but we need to be listening. Here's what the psalmist says. Psalm 27, verse 7 and 8 says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. That is God's invitation to each and every one of us that he is saying, I want you to seek my face, not my favor. And between those two different things, between God's face and God's favor, is a world of difference. We have a tendency to try to make deals with God. When we're in a crisis, we will seek God's favor, God's blessing, God's provision. But how often have you sought God's face? To be face to face with the creator God and to slow down enough to truly Listen, seeking God's face begins with choosing to be in his presence and to tune into the frequency of his voice on a consistent basis. And it, it means seeking him, not just what he provides. This is how James puts it in James chapter four, verse two and three. You do not have because you do not ask. That's the first problem is that we don't go in to the Lord to begin with. The second problem is you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. What he's saying is the reason there's something missing in your life is because you're not going to the Lord and seeking him, or when you do, you're seeking for self-fulfillment rather than God's fulfillment. If you ask for things from life instead of God himself, you ask wrongly. 
That is, you ask out of the desire to be self-fulfilled. And the more you fulfill yourself, the less you will seek God. Seek him and you will find what your heart most longs for. Now, in a passage that Clyde read read for us earlier, we see the prophet Elijah, an incredible, amazing man of God. And we've talked about him before. We've looked at how the Lord treated him as he was dealing with depression, this great saint who was so discouraged and so depressed, he wanted to die. Here in this passage, he's, he's broken. And it occurs, if we were to look at the context, it occurs right after a great spiritual victory. He defeats the 300 prophets of Baal. He has a showdown against false religion and God. And he invites God to answer so that all can see that the Lord God is who he says he is. And there's great victory. But within just a few moments, that great victory, because Elijah is poured out, Elijah is is broken and is empty, it turns into incredible fear. And the reason that it turned into fear is even in the midst of great spiritual victory, Elijah lost the sound of God's voice and he heard the voice of fear instead. And that's what happens to you and I all the time. This is why it's something that, it's not just a matter of hearing God's voice at one point in our life, hearing him call us to salvation. It has to be something that is daily renewed because we leak We need the Holy Spirit to be filled in us continually. We need to hear from God continually because we need to reinforce our lives with the truth of what he says in order for us to walk through life's circumstances in a way where we have hope, where we have faith, where we have courage, and where we're able to accomplish what God is calling us to do. Elijah, his expectations after that great victory for some reason were not met. Perhaps he expected Israel, all the nation, to turn back to the Lord. After all, they demonstrated the power of who God was because at Elijah's prayer, it did not rain for three years. And then when he prayed again, it rained. They had an incredible demonstration that the Lord was the Lord and Elijah was his prophet. And when the Prophets of Baal were defeated and God answered by fire and consumed the sacrifice. You would have thought there would have been a revival across the land, and there wasn't. And Elijah, whose expectations were expecting God to do a great and mighty thing that everyone would respond to, didn't work out the way he expected. Now, it worked out exactly the way God expected, but not the way Elijah did. And what happened is he lost the sound of God's voice. He knew it. He'd heard it. But it was drowned out by the noise of one woman named Jezebel. And fear made him deaf. But the beautiful thing is the moment of hope that you and I need to cling to. Because maybe you feel deaf to God right now. Maybe you feel like God isn't speaking to me. I can't hear him. The beautiful thing is God pursued Elijah and God is pursuing you and I as well. 
Let's look at this story. Turn there, um, 1 Kings chapter 19. Let's look back at verse 1. This is after the great victory. Here's what's happening behind the scenes. Ahab, who's the king of Israel and was not a good guy, told Jezebel, his wife, who was as low as you can get on the scale of being a wayward, wicked, self-seeking, prideful woman, Jezebel was told all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. A threat is given to him. And how does Elijah, who has just stood up against 300 men and a crowd and stood faithfully, how does he respond to the voice of one woman? Then he was afraid. Isn't that good to know that the great and mighty Elijah messes up? Just like us? He gets fearful, just like you do, just like I do. Then he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Now I want you to notice something about what happened to Elijah. Because Elijah, in that message that he got from Jezebel, forgot what God said about him and what God was doing and only could hear the lies and the accusations of the enemy. He had allowed that voice to speak into his mind and it brought incredible despair to his life. Even though he was a man of great faith and of great faithfulness, the lies of the enemy cut through. And what Elijah needed to do was to tune out the noise of the accusations of Jezebel and of the enemy and of his own fear so that he could once again hear God's voice. Now, our circumstances are different than Elijah's, but the same pattern happens to us. When we lose, when we become deaf, to the voice of God, to what he says about us. Because you see how it changed? Elijah was a great and mighty prophet of God. And God had affirmed his life over and over again. But what does Elijah say? First of all, he, may, he, he, re, he thinks he's absolutely alone. And that's what the enemy seeks to do with you and I. He will speak into your life and make you feel isolated. He will also make you feel like a failure. He says, I'm no better than my fathers. And what he means by that is, I'm no better than, than the people who've come before me. They weren't successful in bringing people to the Lord and accomplishing his purpose as will, and neither am I. I am just a failure. How many of you have felt that way? When you look at your life, you feel isolated and alone. You feel like a failure. You feel like God's done with you. It'd be better if I just died. That's what Elijah is going through. Because he was listening to the lie of the enemy rather than the voice of God. But look what God does for him. Verse five, and he lay down and slept under a broom tree. 
And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lie down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. God meets him, first of all, physically. And when we're going through times of great despair, we need rest, we need nourishment, we need to be restored physically and emotionally as part of our being restored spiritually. It's a very important pattern. And and so the Lord is ministering. He's touching the life of Elijah right where he needs it. And he'll touch your life right where you need it as well. Verse 9. Then he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. and, And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I want you to think about that question. You know, one of the problems with the printed word is that we're not able to hear the inflection of how it's said. But because we see what God already did for Elijah in ministry and caring for his physical needs, we know this is not an accusation. He's not condemning him. He's trying to call Elijah back to the truth that he knows. And the Spirit of God will do the same thing in you and I. And Elijah responds, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even only I, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He's so discouraged, so defeated, he can't see anything but the despair that's right in front of him. And so the Lord speaks to him, and he said, Go out and stand in the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I want you to notice that Elijah recognized the voice of God. He had spent enough time with the Lord hearing his voice that he knew when the Lord was speaking and when He was not. God speaks to you and I in the same way if we will choose to listen. As I told you last week, God whispers because he is close. That should be the most encouraging thing to you. The only way that you hear the whisper of God is when you're face to face, when his lips are right up against your own ear. It's a, um, it's a picture of intimacy, of love, of closeness. God cared deeply about Elijah. He knew that he needed physical rest, emotional strength, and he needed to be reminded of God's goodness. 
And so often, we look for God to do big things, to answer in a powerful way. We want God to use us, to use our work, our our family to show our greatness or to show his greatness, and, and that's good. God does do mighty things. He can and will use um, some of you just in the same way he used Elijah. He may use you to proclaim the truth in such a way that it dispels the lies of the enemy and defeats false prophets. He will use you to declare the greatness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He will use you and others to stand in the place of the oppressed, to stand for justice and truth. He will use some to touch the lives of the broken and bring them hope. He'll use others to supply the need of the poor. I pray that God will use us in those ways mightily. But individually, the deep thirst of our soul is not met in the victories of faith, but in the stillness of God's whisper. For you and I, that is what is most important because everything that God does through us first comes from what he does in us. So let me say that again. The deep thirst of your soul is not met in the victories of faith, but in the stillness of God's whisper. What Elijah needed most was not victory over Jezebel, but to know God was with him, to know that God cared for him, to know that God was working, that he was not alone. He needed to be restored and affirmed. Elijah did not need to feel the power of God in the mighty wind. He did not need to experience the righteousness of God in the earthquake. He did not need to see the cleansing fire of God's holiness and judgment in the fire. What he needed at that moment was to hear the whisper of God reminding him that he cared for him and that he would speak with him. Chances are that's where you are today. And what I hope to do in these just next few minutes before we have communion together is give you some really practical things to help you grow in listening to the voice of the Lord. The imitation of the Lord comes in Mark chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus said, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now I want you, this verse oftentimes gets taken out of context. It is set in the midst of listening and hearing the voice of God. God is speaking and the degree to which you and I choose to learn to listen and respond to his voice will determine the direction and success of our life. If we close our ears off to him, then our faith, in essence, will begin to diminish. But if we open our ears to him and listen, it will grow. That's his promise. So we need to have ears to hear what the Lord is saying. Now, the Lord speaks in several ways, but the two primary ways that the Lord speaks to his people is, number one, through the written word, the Bible. It is absolutely the most important because everything else he says has to be in perfect alignment with what he says in his word. If it's not, it is not him speaking. 
And, and we have great blessings according to Deuteronomy chapter 28, 1 through 4, and also according to, to Revelation. If we spend time listening to the word, it, God's word is a resource for every need. God's great promises are given to us. We're told about this in 2 Peter 1 through 4. And abiding in his word enables us to know the truth and truly be set free. That's what Jesus said. If you abide in my word, if you camp out, if you live here in my word, then truly you are my disciples and you'll know the truth and it will set you free. That's what happened to Elijah. When the Lord spoke to him, when he tuned his ear back to the voice of God, he was set free from the despair, from the isolation, from the brokenness, now, God provided uh, some uh, additional resources beyond the voice that just confirmed that in giving him his friend, Elisha, to work alongside of him in um, strengthening his ministry and strengthening his life. But it all began with him listening to God's voice. Scripture tells us that in 1 Timothy that all Scripture, everything that God has spoken, that is, that is inspired, that is God-breathed, is profitable for us. It's beneficial to our life. The second way he speaks is through the whisper of the Holy Spirit. God will speak to you throughout the day once you listen to his voice, but you will not hear his Spirit until you first learn to listen actively to his word, because they will always be in sync. They are always absolutely in agreement. So what we need to do is, first of all, be open. As we looked at last week, the promise of Jesus is that my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. If you know Jesus, he's promised you can hear him if you're open, if you believe he is speaking. Secondly, as we sang earlier, we have to be still. Be still and know that I am God, says Psalm 46.10. To be still doesn't just mean to stop moving. It is something deeper. When we quiet our minds and our bodies by removing the distractions and, and seek the Lord's face himself, when we slow down enough and we create space, margin in our lives, then we're able to hear the Lord. But it has to be intentional. It won't happen unless you find a place, find a way to be isolated with him alone. We also need to be wholehearted. He gives us this promise in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God's not pleased with our half-hearted attempts to read, to pray. When we go through the motions and we check off a box, we're missing out on the greatest pleasure there is in the universe of being with our creator, with our God. He searches our hearts, he knows our motivations, and he invites us. Listen to what he says in Jeremiah 30. He invites you to be close. I will bring him near and he will come close to me for who is he who will devote himself to be close to me? If you make that the choice, the decision and the obedience of your heart, God will speak. You will hear and you will be changed. 
But as I mentioned, to hear God's voice, we have to be tuned to his frequency. Now, when I was preparing for this, um, I I knew this was going to be my last series for a while. Uh, Those of you who are um, members of of ICP or part of our family know that this is our fifth year here, which means that Becky and I have have to leave for a period of time for visa reasons. And now, there's great news on that because we have an incredible lineup of people who are going to be speaking, and by about mid-July, you'll be going, Drew who? So it'll be perfectly fine. Uh, you're, you're in far, far better shape. But in wrestling with the Lord on, you know, Lord, what, do you, what would you have me share? What, what do I want to be those parting words, at least for, for a while? And then I had a conversation. Um, some of my greatest spiritual encouragement comes through my children. Um, I wish, because you are family, I wish you could know our kids. They're so much more interesting and exciting than I am. And, and, and Micah, in particular, he's our youngest. Um, Micah and Sam are, are both best friends, and they're just overflow with passion. And so Micah, when he gets on um, FaceTime or Skype with me or whatever, whatever thing he is just burning about, I mean, it will just, it will just come out like a flood. And, and he's, he's going, Dad, this is the church. I don't know what's going on in the church. They're not teaching God's word. They're not teaching us to live in God's word and making it practical so that we can really soak into it. He says, you know, we're, they're giving messages here and they're doing nice little cute things and that kind of stuff. But we need, we need people to help us just live it. And, and he just gets, I, I couldn't even imitate it. Because it's just, I mean, he goes on and on and on. And when it's finally all out of his system, he goes, what do you think? <laughs> Sounds good to me, son. You go. You know, because he just, just all comes out and it's great. But in part of that, he, re, he reminded me that sometimes we lose sight of our first calling to make disciples. And so what I want to share now is, is a way that God has taught me to listen to his voice, a way that I've tried to teach my children to listen to his voice that may or may not work well for you, but it's what I have to give. And I pray that the Lord in his grace will use it. There's a simple thing that is a part of relationships. I use this whenever I do marriage preparation or counseling. It's called active listening. Active listening is really, really important, in, especially in times of conflict in a relationship, because what happens is oftentimes the greatest source of the conflict is that we're truly not listening to each other. We're listening to respond rather than listening to understand. And so in active listening, what you do is you speak back to the person that you're listening to what you believe they said, and it allows them to hear that and find out whether or not that's really what they said and whether or not you heard accurately so that the two of you can come closer together. Well, that's incredibly important in a relationship, especially in, in marriage, and, and it may sound weird you know, at first doing that, but I promise you it works. If you, if you with your spouse, if you're going through a disagreement, if you simply say, okay, so what I hear you saying is this, and you do it in a way not that's accusing, not that's preparing for the hammer to come down so that you can get your point in and win, but so that you seek to understand, and then they respond back, you begin to grow closer. Well, the same thing happens, interestingly enough, 
with our relationship with God. And so I want to show you how I use active listening to to hear the voice of what God is speaking. Listening to God's voice means that I submit to what he says. Listening to his voice means that I take time to listen and to try to understand and I become fully engaged in the drama of what I'm reading, what I'm hearing so that I understand what God is saying and I can truly see what God is doing. Listening means praying the scripture back to the Lord. Listening means living like what you have heard is really true and it will transform your life. The Hebrew word for hear is the word shema. And in the Hebrew language, the word shema means both hear and obey. You can't separate them. They're absolutely interlinked to one another. If you say you hear, but you don't obey, you did not hear. That's just the way it is with God. So how do we do this? Well, here's how I practice active listening. First of all, as I'll take a passage and I read it out loud, um, uh, just read it out loud. And, and, And this isn't my studying to find out something about God's word, to be able to teach it. Um, That's a different subject. This is simply for me learning to hear God's voice. So I read it, and I read it out loud. I read it slowly and deliberately. Secondly, I'll read it again, but this time quietly. And look for, uh, it's a time to reflect. First time is reading. The second time is reflecting. What in this passage touches my life? What does it show me about God himself? And I begin to think about, over a few moments, silently reflecting on what I've read. And I think about some of these kinds of questions. What does it reveal about God's character? What does it show me about his goodness, about his love, about his holiness? What does it tell me about my own life in him? What does it teach me about worship or about obedience? Is there a truth that I need to remember Is there a promise that I need to claim and celebrate? Is there a warning to heed? Is there a prayer to pray? A command to obey? A praise to proclaim? Now, this is kind of second nature, so I don't read through a list of questions. I just think about it, and I'm looking for those things in the the back of my heart to reflect on it. That's what it means to meditate. And thirdly is a respond. I read it again this time to see how it applies to me personally. What is God inviting me to do in response to his word? And I begin to write out, to journal um, what God says and and what he is prompting me to do. And for me personally, I use an app to do this. I use Olive Tree because it has a really great note section so I can read through the passage and I can write the note and whenever I pull up that passage again, all my notes come up um, connected to that passage. There's other software that does it as well, but Olive Tree works really well for me. So I I, I respond to it by looking for what God is inviting me to do from his word. And fourthly, I rest in it. I read it one more time to rest in in who God is and think about the promises he's made. 
Because this is different. This is not what he's telling me to do. This is the life source of who he is that builds our life, that strengthens us. And then finally, I rejoice. I look at it one more time just for praise. And this is how I practice active listening because I want to make sure that when I step away, what God has spoken goes with me. That I've not just read a passage. And so you see, you know, there, there is, it's, there's a great benefit in reading through God's word in the course of a year, reading it chronologically. Those are wonderful tools. But at some point in your life, you need to li- learn to simply listen to his voice. So we're going to try it together. We're going to look at Psalm 24, and we're going to do it just, just the way I do it. Good or bad, we're going to do it. And I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to read through it together one time. Psalm 24, I'm, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And would you read this with me? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory, Salah. Have a seat. God's word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. One of the reasons why I think it is important to read God's word out loud, even when it's just you alone, is because it speaks in a slightly different way when you not only see it, say it, but also hear it. It allows all three of those senses, those three dimensions to be connected and it will speak to you in different ways. Reading it out loud means that you, you read it in a way where you're, you're thinking about the intent, not just the words. So that's where I begin. And then I want to reflect on it. Now, when I do that, I don't necessarily read the whole thing because as I, as I looked at it, there were some things that jumped out into my heart and, and some things that would have jumped out to you. They will be different, but some things that you want to reflect on. And so I'll read it again. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness 
from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob, Silah. And in this time, what I would do is I just want to soak in that. I just want to be still. And allow those words to penetrate my thoughts. It allows the details of what God has said to enable us to begin to gaze upon the beauty of his face. What meditation is, if you understand it, it's not some mystical thing. It's certainly not what happens in Eastern religions where you try to empty your mind of everything. Meditation is gazing upon the face of the one that you love. Right now, Becky's in, in the United States, so, so we're, we're separated. But when I meditate on Rebecca, I'm calling to mind the curve of her face, the smile that she gives me, the voice that she speaks to me with. That's meditation upon God's word. We're looking into the face of who he is, the one who loves us enough to give himself for us and look at what he says about us. From the fullness of gazing into the face of the Lord and reflection upon his words, it allows him to begin to speak deeply into us. And then I begin to speak it back. After I've reflected on it, this is the act of listening. And here's what I wrote down from, from this week. All things belong to you, Lord. I belong to you. Everything I have, everything I enjoy is yours. You hold its ownership. You own me. Help me to place my full trust in you because I belong to you. God, I can't believe you're really saying to me that the holy, perfect God of the universe wants me to seek his face, to be face to face with you. In your perfection, how you could even want me is beyond my imagining. But God, you've told me that there are requirements of coming into your presence. You've said that not everyone will be able to stand in your holy presence, but only those who are pure and cleansed of their sins, which means only those who know Jesus, those who worship some other entity or stake their life on any other belief, will not be able to stand in his presence. And I'm simply stating back what I understood of what he told me in his word. But what is beautiful that I see here is that the idea of meeting with you, God, is not just for some distant future after we die. It is a reality to be experienced today. So I want to be with you. Third time I read it, and I focus in more on how he's calling me to respond. Because this is what he says. He says, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Lord, cleanse my hands, the things that I do. Purify my heart. Change the motive behind what I do. Show me my sin. 
show me where I'm an heir so that I may confess it to you. Show me the idols in my life because we all have them. What are the things, what are the peoples, what are the activities that I'm putting in God's rightful place? Show me where I'm trusting in something false. And I choose today, as you show that to me, to turn from it and return to you. I will seek your face. That's responding. Fourth time is to rest. Because he goes on and he says that those who do this, look at verse five, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. For such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Salah means rest. And that's what he's calling us to do, to rest in his promises, to rest in his truth. It is a musical notation for pausing to reflect on what God has spoken. Lord, you promised each one of us that you will give us a blessing for simply seeking you. I believe your word. I believe your promise. You will bless. You, more importantly, will cover me with your righteousness for in Jesus, you are my salvation. That's the foundation that gives us strength to face every circumstance and problem. And finally, I rejoice. Where it says, lift up your heads, O you gates. This is written about, uh, it's a song of ascent coming into the temple. And I believe David wrote it specifically for the return of the Ark of the Covenant being brought into the, to the temple in Jerusalem. And it also points to the coronation of Jesus Christ at his return. But it has implications upon your life and my life as well. And so here's how I pray it back. Lord, I open the gates of my heart to you. I open the gates of my life to you. I open the doors of my relationships to you, of my work. Come in, Lord. Let the king of glory make his presence known to me, in me, and through me. Lord, you are strong. You are mighty. You are mighty in battle. I open all that I am to your greatness. Lord, open the, I open the gates of my family to you, of my workplace. Lord, I open the gates of this city to you. I pray that you would come in. Lord, I open the gates, the doors of this church, of your people, of your bride, and ask that you would come in, that you would speak to us, that we would worship you for who you truly are, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lord, we open up all that we are to you and say, come in. Now, you're made differently than I am. But I want to encourage you to at least try this and allow the Lord to begin to develop your own conversation and dialogue with him so that you learn to hear his voice, to hear what he is saying to you. We're going to celebrate communion. 
And it too is something that is intimate. It is personal. Jesus, in giving us the bread and the cup, wants to say to each of us individually that I am knocking at the door of your heart. If anyone will open the door, I will come in and dine with him. That's what he tells us in Revelation 3, verse 20. He's asking us to open up all that we are to him and choose to be in his presence, to dwell in his presence. The bread represents his body being given for us and is broken for all to share equally. The cup represents his blood that shows his forgiveness and the covering of his own merit, of his own righteousness that was poured out for us and given to us to taste of its goodness. So as we come together today in communion, it is a reminder that God is inviting you to spend time with him, to get close to him, to hear the whisper of his voice. Generally, Father, Lord, I wish I had a way to share how good you are with those who've yet to truly taste and see and experience your goodness. Lord, would you give each person here the courage today to open up their heart and their life and simply say, Lord, come in. I want to know more of you. For some, that may be the very first time that they, they call upon your name, Lord Jesus, and they come into a relationship with you for salvation. For others, Lord, they, they've known you for a while, but Lord, I pray today would be a day of transformation in their relationship with you that it won't be about a religion or about going to church or, or, or even, even about the discipline of Bible study, as important as it is, but it will be about learning to hear what you are speaking because we need it so desperately. So Lord, would you speak to each and every person, Lord, just as you had the exact right response to Elijah for what he needed. Would you respond to each and every person here in this room in the way they need? Speak to us, Lord, for we, your servants, want to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night before he was crucified, the scripture tells us that Jesus took bread and he said, this is my body which is given for you. He broke it. And he blessed it, and he said, take and eat of it, all of you. He continues this. He tells us to do this in remembrance of him until he comes back. Every time we share of the bread and of the cup, it is a reminder that God is saying to you, I love you. I gave myself for you. I want to be with you. I want to be in you. I'm at the door of your heart right now, knocking, asking you to open yourself afresh to me that I may come in and dine with you. Lord, thank you for the bread.
that represents your body, which was given for us. We eat it in remembrance of your sacrifice and of your love. And we eat it in joy of the communion of the oneness that we have with you because of faith in Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that he also took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant. It is my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins of many. Take and drink from it, all of you. It was an invitation that Jesus gives to everyone who trusts on him the fullness of his righteousness. You don't have to earn it. It's not about how impressive you think you are or aren't as a believer. It is his invitation to come and drink of his love, of his gift. Scripture says that he blessed the cup and he gave it to his disciples. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this cup. We ask your blessing upon this symbol that represents the blood, the sacrifice, the love, and the righteousness of Christ that was poured out for us. As we taste it, we do so in remembrance of what you have done. We do so in anticipation of the sweetness of being in your presence. And we do so also awaiting your soon return. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm gonna invite those who are serving to come forward and we invite you to come and partake of the bread and of the cup in the Lord's Supper.